We're in Daniel chapter 4, 28 through 37. Have you ever thought about this? God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. So all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it has spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whom works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. This is the word of God. Please be seated. God is never in a hurry but always on time. The theme, God is sovereign over nations, over rulers, and over our lives, folks. Sovereignty means this, God's ultimate rule over his creation. Now, we went through several scriptures last week, just a couple of them to remind you of this. Psalm 47, 2, the Lord most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 83, 18, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Who's in charge of the earth? God is in charge of the earth. Now, last week we talked about Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, so just a little recap. But remember, before the second dream, he had to have a first dream. Remember, the first dream was of a statue or an idol, and it was depicting the, the, the kingdoms that would be coming, and Babylon was the top. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And then we're going to get a ten-nation confederation. It's right on the horizon that it's going to rise up, and we put a picture on the board, a, on the overhead a few weeks ago about the nation, how the world has already been divided by the United Nations, and it just happens to be ten locations, just like the Bible says. Now, they don't have any idea what the Bible says, but it just happens to be they figure ten, ten divisions would be perfect for Earth. So that's right on the horizon. We know that Antichrist will rise up. He will be a diplomatic genius. He's going to gain control over the ten-nation confederation. And he will, initially, he will bring peace. Remember, he's the rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 6. He comes with a bow. He comes with peace. He's going to be extremely diplomatic. He's going to be a brilliant. And in Daniel 9.27, he's going to do what no one else has been able to do, and that's bring peace in the Middle East. It says this, then he, Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant or a treaty with the many for one week. Now, who are the many? Well, the many are those Jews that are going to be deceived by the Antichrist. And I believe that will be two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to buy into Antichrist stuff. We see in 
In Zechariah, it's going to be two-thirds. One-third are going to escape at some point in, in the Petra. He will sign this covenant for one week. That's going to be a seven-year period of time, seven days. So each day is, is a year. In the middle of the week, at the three-and-a-half-year point, he shall bring it into the sacrifice and offering, and then the wings abomination shall be one who makes death. So that's the abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist reaches a point where he's now powerful enough He's going to set himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God, and everyone who does not take the mark of the beast is going to be killed. He will try to kill them. So it's going to be a bunch of people fleeing for their lives. That's what this guy is going to do. He's the one that's coming. So he's going to subdue three of those kings, and he's going to take over. We see this subduing three of those ten divisions in Daniel 7, 8, 7, 20, and 7, 24. And again, culminating in the abomination of desolation. Now the dream, number two, was Nebuchadnezzar is learning really who's in charge of this world and who's really in charge of his life. And he, remember, he warned Nebuchadnezzar, and he sent somebody. It was called a watcher. So he sent an angel specifically to him. He saw this in his dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, this is what the watcher told him, you'll be chopped down, chapter 4, verse 14. You're going to be grazing with the beast over seven times or seven seasons or seven years, I believe that that's what that represents, in 4.16. So in verse 25, until you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, until you are broken and you really know who rules and who reigns on this earth, that you can know that God is sovereign. Psalm 75, verses 4 through 7, say this. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn or lift up your head or strut around. That's what that actually means. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck or with pride. For exaltation comes neither from the east. Whoever is lifted up comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Everything that we have comes from the hand of God. God reigns. God raises up. God brings down. And by the way, every talent, every ability that we have, if you're a gifted musician, if you have a great singing voice, if you have athletic abilities, everything comes from God. Your intelligence, your ability, everything comes from God. But our job is to develop what God has given us for His glory not for our glory. Remember James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like sifting sand. Everything comes from our God, every ability that we have. Nebuchadnezzar, you're learning this. God will deal with pride. He lifts some up and he brings some down. Now look, and I want to talk to you about something that permeates our culture, permeates each one of us, something that, that we must deal with and that this, this love of I above everything. I above everything. We have on the overhead here just a little thing here. I love me. I love myself, and I love I. Now, look, we have to have a good self-image. It's healthy to have a good self-image. But it is not healthy for us to be the center of the universe. It is not healthy for everything to revolve around, the, around us. Remember, God is to be center. God is to be exalted. We are his servant. He is not our servant. We are his servant. He is the one that reigns, and he is the one that rules. So we have to get that settled in our hearts and in our minds. 
Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom was given to you by the Most High God. And by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, this kingdom will pass on to other kings. You're not the only one. Remember, it was the Persia, then Greece, then Rome. Okay? And that actually happened. And guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? There's going to be a stone that comes to crush all these earthly kingdoms. Remember, we saw it in, in chapter 2. And that stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will establish his kingdom forever. Now, how long is forever? Forever is forever. Hey, this is temporary. That is forever. It's very important that you get it right here, that you worship the true God, that you come to him through his son. It's the only way to get to God. This is a must. This is, a, this is not optional. There's not other ways. This is a must. We must get to God the right way. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. And guess what, Daniel? Daniel describes it perfectly, and many people have impugned the book of Daniel because his predictions were so accurate. But, oh, no, we believe this is God-inspired word of God, and it happened just as God said it would happen. And the next thing on the horizon is a, a ten-nation confederation with Antichrist leading it. Folks, this week, Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn something that each one of us must learn if we're going to have any peace at all walking through this thing called life. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, you are really the teacher. I pray that you'll help us to set aside whatever we're thinking about today that is outside of here and zero in and focus on what you have for us today. Please speak to each one of us the things that we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. Now, you know that we are living in a fast-paced society. Never, never in the history of the world has there been a pace like we're living in. Would you agree? Just say yes. If you don't agree, just, just get right in and just say yes. Yeah. So hurry, hurry, hurry. We're the hurry to school. We hurry to work. We hurry to practice. We hurry to church. We hurry to McDonald's. And by the way, when we get to McDonald's, we want them to hurry to give us our food. Fast food, faster food. We're living in a microwave society with a microwave mentality. We've all gotten it. Oh, gosh, they're taking so long to get me my hamburger. It's been two and a half seconds. And I can't. Come on, pace, pace, hurry, hurry, faster, faster. Unrelenting production pressures. If you're in the workplace, they want you to do more with less. And you're feeling that strain. You're feeling that strain. Is it any wonder why anxiety is at an all-time high? Is it any wonder? We all feel it at some level. You ever just wonder why you feel this disruption in your spirit? Look, we're getting impacted constantly with this pace. And if truth be told, we think that God is just a little bit slow. Don't we? Come on, God. Let's get going. You need to, get, you need to pick up the pace here. I want something, and I want it right now. We're into microwave miracles. I want it, boom, that quick. God doesn't work that way. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. And you know what? God is process-oriented. He has us in a process of being conformed to the likeness of his son, and this takes time. Time to reflect. Time to sit back. Time to think about God. That is what we want to do. Remember, he is the creator. He holds everything 
Everything, including you and your life, you're going to live exactly as long as he wants you to live. He holds it in his hands. I want to share with you just a, just a couple of scriptures just to give you a little bit of encouragement here. Isaiah 41.10 says this, for all of us in this pace, all of us with this underlying discomfort of what's going on, all of us who live with some level of fear about what's going to happen in the world and that sort of thing, God says this through the prophet Isaiah 41.10, fear not. That just, that's a word of God that just resonates to his people. Fear not, for I am with you. That's the reason we don't fear, because I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that just great comfort? 41.13 says this, Isaiah, for I, for I the Lord hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. 49.16, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's your special to God. He's engraved you, each one of us, on the palms of his hands. He keeps us in the center of, uh, of his thoughts. He loves you. He loves his people. He loves those who have bowed the knee and said yes to Jesus. He keeps you in the forefront. The next time you think God is late, think again. Next time you think God is slow in this thing, think again. You're so dear to him, he holds you in his hands. Nebuchadnezzar will learn this. God has not forgotten Nebuchadnezzar as he goes into the field to graze. What God has decreed will happen, and it will happen on time, and it's all for Nebuchadnezzar's good. When God delays in your life, and you're wondering, where is he? Remember this. It's for your good. He is working out his plan, his way in our lives. Okay, now granted, everyone in here is going to say, oh man, I need God to pick it up. Right now, he's on time. He's on time. So, verse 28 through 30. God is always on time, but remember this. Pride, pride, elevation of self, okay, ignores God's warning. And I think a favorite pastime for mankind is to ignore what God has said. A favorite pastime. Let's just read the verse here, 28 through 30. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. That's all the warnings. You're going to be grazing. You're going to have this. He gave him time to repent. He gave him time to repent. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, one solid year. You talk about the patience of God. One solid year, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Now notice what happens to the king, and notice what happens to some of us. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Isn't this just the greatest house on the block that I have put together? Isn't my yard better and greater and more pretty than everybody else's? Look at the car that I have. I keep mine so clean and waxed, and look at Fred next door. It's a mud pit. Look how wonderful I am. I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for honor of my majesty, and this is arrogance, and this is haughty, and this is pride. And what does God feel about pride? He hates pride. He hates pride. Never overlook the patience of God, folks. Never overlook that, the patience of God. Twelve months later, God has delayed Nebuchadnezzar's consequence. He's given him a chance. 
God desires, listen to this, God desires in each one of us repentance over punishment. Remember Ezekiel 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should perish and not live? Do I have to take any pleasure at all in that? No. God w- desires people to repent and turn. Oftentimes, humans presume on the grace of God and the mercies of God, the patience of God, and think, think what God has decreed is fantasy. God says this is going to happen. They look at it as fantasy, that it won't really happen. Remember Israel? Prophet after prophet after prophet says, turn Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the idols. Don't worship the gods of the land. Turn to me. And Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all these guys come, and they're just ignored. They are just ignored. They returned to live, and they ignored, and they went into captivity. Think about Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness. Some people believe that he preached for up to 100 years before this, this thing ended. No converts. That'd be a little disappointing, wouldn't it? No converts. In 2 Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, we read these words. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, what is a scoffer? They're a mocker. They're deriding. They're saying, what you have to say is a bunch of hogwash. They will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. People don't want to believe in a God. They don't want to submit to him and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, look, we live this little thing called life called about 70 years. 70 years, average lifespan. If you have strength, you're going to live to be 80 or 90 or something like that. That is a of time. And man in his arrogance, in that little dimple of time, makes these allegations against God saying, that, you know, where is the promise of his coming? You come to that conclusion, that little short time frame called your life. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Oh, really? For this they willfully forget, but by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water and in the, wa- and in the water, and by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Look at this thing is already been done away with one time, and God did a start over with Noah. God is not slack concerning his promises. He goes on to this. People think God is slow. It says in verse 8, One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering with humans. That word is macrothumia. That means he is extremely patient. He does not exert on people what he could. He is patient with people, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look at Noah was ignored. The nation of Israel was ignored. And humanity today ignore God. They deny the promise of his coming. They They ignore what Jesus has said. Nebuchadnezzar was warned by God personally. Ignored, 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 and wham, he ended up grazing. Wham judgment come. Now, what is mankind's, now think about this, what is mankind's root problem? What is mankind's root problem? What is our root problem? Well, number one, I think it's denial. Denial, because he says here they, 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 were, they didn't think that this has been going on so long and nothing has happened. We deny that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. God's delay prompts men to think that God doesn't mean what he says. They presume on God's long-suffering. 
presume upon it. They presume upon God's patience. But there is a time when God's patience is done, and he deals with people. But that's, he, he is very patient. He's way more patient than we are. Okay? We would have already squelched this thing long ago. But not God. He is patient. First, it all is denial. But the second thing is pride. The root problem is denial. Secondly, is pride. I know better than God. Think about that. If I was God, I would do it this way. Oh, really? Oh, really? Our little fragmented bits of information that we have, and we can run the universe any way that we want. I know better than God. By the way, who had that problem? Satan. Satan is the one who had that problem. If I was God, I would do this, and you fill in the blanks. Now, look at pride. Pride is awful. Okay, but most of the people, most of us sitting here right now, you might be thinking this: I don't have that problem. And to you, I will say, "Oh, really?" Because you're going to take a pride test right now. Some warning signs of a proud heart. Where, where do you fit into this? I'm going to give you three or four of the about 15 things this guy has written down here. Okay? And I don't know who this is, but I can't give him credit for it, but somebody did this, not me. So some warning signs of a proud heart. Number one, usually thinks that he or she is right. Now, I think just about everybody's going to fit into that one. Easily offended. And I suggest to you within the church, people walk around easily offended, in particular, in particular, does not like to be corrected, obstinate towards authority, quick to find fault with others, having the feeling of no one does it better than me. Then he's got this other things, usually ungrateful, often unpatient. How about this one? Pride is not afraid of temptations. I can just stick my head where it doesn't belong, and I... I won't fall for that temptation. Oh, really? Yeah, need, pride needs to be noticed. Pride is bold to contradict others. Nebuchadnezzar is reeking with pride. Let me ask you the question, how are you doing? This hits me right between the eyes. I don't know if it hits anybody else, but in verse 30, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. I mean, we're the center. And Nebuchadnezzar had plenty to be proudful about. Josephus quotes a, a, an ancient historian named Barassus, and he says this about what Nebuchadnezzar had. His impressive building exploits were some of the most ambitious in all of ancient history. The city was, was surrounded by a wall for 17 miles. The palace inside had a wall five miles around it, a a wall within a wall. The river Euphrates went right through the middle of the palace, which gave him water. He had hanging gardens of Babylon, where the set, one of the seven wonders of the world was right there. Statues of bulls and dragons lined the thing. It was just, just an amazing architectural feat. But the key comment in Nebuchadnezzar's boasting was that he himself made the nation great by means of his own might, and God says, no way. No way. He couldn't have been more wrong in every account. Look, pride ignores God's warnings. Hear the word of God 
and respond so you don't have to go down consequence road. Okay? So, verse 31 through 33. Payday someday. Nebuchadnezzar, it's time. It's time. While the word was still in the king's mouth. I mean, how would you like that? A voice fell from heaven, God, King Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder how it sounded. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. I mean, can you just imagine, shaken right to his knees. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, the watchers. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Notice two times, they will make you. They will make you. It is much better to volitionally bow before God than to be made to bow. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. Who knows how this all thing, how this thing took place? Because he must have went stone cold crazy, and a whole bunch of people noticed it and says, hey, we've got to get him out of here, and threw him into this field. He must have really went off the deep end. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. God is always on time. People can't ignore God, presume upon God's patience, live for themselves, but payday does come. It does. Verse 31, Nebuchadnezzar literally chokes on his words while the word was still in the king's mouth. <clears throat> chokes on his words. While the word was still in the king's mouth, the decree is stated. And Nebuchadnezzar's life is changed drastically. Oh, how things can change for the bad so quickly and for the good so quickly. What a difference a day makes. The decree is enacted, and Nebuchadnezzar goes from the palace as the most regal king in the history of earth to the pasture, where he grazes like an animal. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The king of the hill has been dethroned. H.A. Ironside has an interesting view of this. In all this, he says, in all this we see a picture of Gentile power in its alienation from God and its bestial character. Okay, now just remember that. Alienation from God, looking like a beast, or acting like a beast. Rulers and nations who have trampled the word of God beneath their feet and despised his mercy and his grace, refusing subjection to his government, are guilty of acting in madness as Beasts. That's how God sees them. Remember the statue? Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, head of gold, and, and, and so on. The statue of the world empires, from, from man's perspective, were precious. Remember, it started with the precious metal. We're going to have a picture up here. Remember how precious it was, how beautiful it was. Most valuable was the gold, then the silver, then the bronze, then the iron. This gold is the most valuable, but this iron is the strongest. As this descends, strength increases until it gets to the toes where it's part iron and part clay. And its weakness gives an opening for Antichrist to come in. But this is how humanity views itself. Studly, muscular, 
in charge. I am, I am great and I am wonderful, in control, solid. But God's view is completely different. God's view are beasts. We'll see what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in a second. But God's view are beasts. He views them as awful, hideous. Look at Isaiah has a statement that is just great. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. You've heard it 10,000 times. Hear it again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God does not see things the way humanity does. That's the whole point here. Humans see things so differently than God. In order to see things from God's perspective, we have to be in relationship with him and want to see it from his perspective. That's the key. Want to see it from his perspective. So, so a proud Nebuchadnezzar becomes a beast, and he grows. You now, there's all kinds of pictures that you can have of Nebuchadnezzar. We had a different one last week. This is one that looks more like a person this week. But it just is the, the, the awfulness of a person's life that turns from the living God, and God views them as a beast, and they're going to be, in this case, a beast. Now, it's interesting about this. Some people discount Nebuchadnezzar's madness in history. They see no evidence for it in the, in the, in the information that is given about the nation of Babylon. However, there's an interesting point. There's a, in the record of the nation of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, between the years 582 and 575 B.C., there are seven years of silence regarding this king. I wonder what happened to this king during those seven years. Grazing. Folks, God is always on time. He is always on time. Verse 34 and 36, God is always on time. And God can change your heart, folks. God can change your heart. 34 through 36, and we're going to take it on home. At the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Talk about a changed life. From I to him. From an I focus to a him focus. For, watch this, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the, of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Who's in charge of heaven? God. Who's in charge of earth? God. Who found out that God was in charge in heaven? Satan and a third of the angelic realm when they were booted out. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? It just makes you just want to echo Romans 11.33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a God that God should repay? From, from him, to him, and through him are all things. To God be the glory. That would be an amen time. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Well, give myself an amen. 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 God will use your life circumstances to get your attention, folks. And remember the goal. God's goal is not to hurt people. 
God's goal is to change people. He doesn't do this willingly. He gave Nebuchadnezzar one solid year. And he gave him a personal dream that was disturbing. And he gave him a watcher that gave him the information, but he ignored it. In his pride, he ignored it. Do not ignore God. God will get your attention. The goal is a, is a heart change, a spirit change. Remember, every human is born into this world dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1, we are born dead. Our spirits are dead. That is why when someone, we use the term in Christendom, being born again, it is because our spirits have been given life. That's being born again. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are born again. Our spirits receive life. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, if you would turn there for just a second, will give us a little bit of an idea of how God dealt with the nation of Israel, and we can extrapolate from this how God deals with us today. Now watch this. Ezekiel 36 verse 24 through 27, very common area of Scripture, except for the first couple of verses. For I will take you from among the nations. Now, this is a millennial promise, the millennial reign of Christ. God will take all the, all the Jews on the earth. That, remember, they are in the diaspora. They have been spread all throughout the earth. And in the millennial reign, we now have, uh, in, in, the Jews become a nation on May 14, 1948, and they... People have made Aliyah or have ascended are going back to Israel, but there will be a day when every single Jew in the world is regathered and will find their home in Israel. Right now there's more Jews in New York and Miami than there are in Israel. All those folks that are believers will return by God's decree to the, to the nation of Israel. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Now, this is a tremendous promise to the Jewish people. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. Now, what do you think that refers to? Salvation. Salvation. And you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. What was their problem? Idolatry. Worshiping other gods. Doing things their way. They're going to they're be saved. I will give you a new heart. Now, what happens when we're born again? We get a new heart. We get a heart transplant. And put a new spirit. That's your own. You're going to have a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. I will take your stubborn, unrepentant heart out. And I will give you a heart of flesh, pliable, moldable, shapeable into what God wants you to be. And then he says this in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is in the millennial reign. This is what happens when we're glorified. There's going to be no more rebellions in heaven, no more angelic rebellions in heaven, no human rebellion in heaven. We'll be in a state of perfection. We're going to do things exactly the way that God wants us to do them. Now, that's Ezekiel's view of this. But if you would, turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It's after 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Now this is going to explain to you what happens when we become born again, when our spirits are given life. Remember, you're 
born dead in your trespasses and sins. You have to be given life. The Spirit of God has to come within you. Then you're born again. You have a new life. Verse 4, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards men appeared. Now, who do you think they're talking about there? Jesus. Jesus. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. We bring nothing to the table as humans. God didn't save you because, oh, you just look so great and wonderful. You are so terrific. I can't, I can't help saving you. You're so wonderful. That's not how it happened. That is not how it happened. Not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration. That's new birth. That's the whole John chapter 3, 1 through 8. New birth and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. This is an important part here. Whom he poured out on us abundantly, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. When you were regenerated, how much of the Holy Spirit did you get? All of them. Abundantly. Abundantly he poured out his Spirit on you. It just depends on how you yield to the Spirit as how much control the Spirit has on your life. He was poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified, oh, that's that word, declared righteous. Remember, the second you believed, now Father looks at you as he looks at his Son, justified, perfect, all because of Jesus. Not because of Mohammed, not because of Buddha, not because of Krishna, not because of any other world religion. That's why it's only Jesus. There can be no other way. There can be no other way. That having been justified by his grace, remember, by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any should boast. We should become, what says, heirs, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Joint heirs with Christ. We inherit what Jesus has. What a deal. He dies. He takes our sin debt. He pays the price for us. And we say, yes! And we get everything. We get everything. I mean, what a deal. Like, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. Back to Daniel. Back to Daniel. So, changed heart. All these things, all, everything that Nebuchadnezzar has gone through. Now, if you remember, if you were here from the beginning, Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, goes into Jerusalem and he captures Jews in 605 B.C. So he has three sieges. On the first siege, he takes these special guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 50 to 75 other choice young men of Israel. And he takes them into, Bab into Babylon and he tries to indoctrinate them. These four won't be indoctrinated. They will not partake of the king's delicacies. And they end up being head and shoulders above everybody else. Nebuchadnezzar takes notice of these four guys. So that starts his introduction to the true God. So these, these captives, he, he sees. And then he has the dream of the statue. And then he has the fiery furnace. Well, people will not bow to his other image that he puts up. If you were here, you know all about that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get saved out of the fire. And then there's a second dream about the watchers cutting him down because of pride. And then, then there's him seven years grazing in the field as an animal. These are all used by God, all his life. Look at all of your life. God has used different circumstances, different situations, 
different stressors, all to drive you to him. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing here. And I would suggest to you that every human being that really bows before God, really bows before the Lord Jesus Christ, has had a wilderness experience. In the wilderness, we learn it's not about me. It is not about me. When you come out of the wilderness, you realize I'm in charge of nothing. Everything I have is from God. Everything is yours, God. I belong to you. Do with me as you please. And that's the safest place to be, in the center of God. The wilderness will get your attention. And God has finally really gotten Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Nebuchadnezzar's heart has been changed. His heart change brings a life change focus. Verse 34 and 35, let me just read this to you again. Please try to really think about these words. And at the end of the time, at the end of the wilderness, at the end of the struggle, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And you will see in Scripture many times where it speaks about us lifting as humans, lifting our eyes to our God, lifting our eyes to him, acknowledging who he is. And my understanding returned to me. And I will suggest to you, until we truly lift our eyes to him, we will never, ever understand God and who he is, at least the best that we can. Now, we, we get little fragmented information. We know in this word about God what he wants us to know, but let me tell you, he is way, way bigger than any. We can't even comprehend it. We have what we can comprehend. That's it. We're like little, little infantile babies with what we can comprehend. My understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion. Now watch this. From an eye focus to a him focus, for his dominion is again as an everlasting dominion. I love this. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the world, we just read this, he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Who is sovereign? God is sovereign. Who's in charge? God is in charge. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done, God? You need to answer to me, God, on why this happened, and that is not the way it works. That is not the way it works. Never forget, God's grace limits the suffering. God's grace limits the wilderness. God's grace, there were seven years, that's a long time. Now, I want to suggest to you something. Oftentimes, people will suffer for years. If I have to suffer for like two weeks with a cold, that's like unbelievable to me. Okay? And it's still unbelievable. It's the worst cold I've ever had. Oh, gosh, I hope it doesn't go into my chest. Oh, if I get sick. It's the worst. Two weeks. There are people who get one year, five years, ten years, 40 years, a whole lifetime of suffering. But I want you to notice something. Compared to eternity or forever, God looks at this, and I really think he wants us to get this, that it is light and momentary because it's so short here compared to forever with him. Listen to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. This is in the NIV, and it's, it is, you guys are familiar with it, but just hear this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And then he says this, For our light and momentary troubles or afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of the suffering, all the stuff of earth. It far outweighs it. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what I'm going through, not the misery of this time or this moment, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Can't you just say hip, hip, hooray? Temporary. This is it. Temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Folks, when we are suffering, when life throws you a rotten banana or a rotten apple or a rotten whatever, when it throws you a rotten something, we must keep an eternal perspective. This world is not my home. Oftentimes, you look, you look at the world today and people think this is it. We're going to save the planet. We're going to save the planet from global warming. We're going to save the planet from nuclear weapons. We're going to save the planet. I think it's good to be a good steward of what God has given us. But we're saving nothing. We're saving nothing. Man is depraved. Human, humanity will not, they will not come to the rescue. God is going to come to the rescue, not humanity. So we must learn something that Nebuchadnezzar has learned, a critical lesson. Self must die. Isn't that something? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct. This is what we do when we're saved. We put off our former conduct. We're changed, a new man. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's in Romans 12, too, says transformed by the renewing of our minds. As we're in the process of being more like Jesus, our brain changes. Our brain changes. That you put on the new man which, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That is what God wants for us. Old man dies, new man is living. New man is living. And I'll tell you this, it is amazing, and I think you'll bear witness to this, it is amazing what it takes for the self to die. The self-life dies hard. The self-life dies hard. With the self out of the way, folks, listen to this, pride dies. Until you die to self, pride will always be in your life. You must die to self. Nebuchadnezzar died to self, something every, every one of us must do. We also must learn this. Grace allows us to see God as he really is. Watch how Nebuchadnezzar sees God in verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, and my splendor returned to me. My counselors, nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom. That's grace. That's grace and mercy. An excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, watch this. There's not a hint of pride. Dying to self. Praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Let me just digress here for just a second. So oftentimes people look at praise as my three minutes of going praise. And I lifted my hands and I'm praising the Lord. And I think that's wonderful that we do that. But that is what not, that can be superficial. Praising God, extolling God, is every part of my being is dedicated to him. I hold nothing back. 
is all dedicated to you. And I honor the King of Heaven. How do we do that? By being obedient to His Word. By being counterculture. By telling people who the true God really is. To do it unashamedly, but do it with love and kindness and grace and mercy. All whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, oh, he is able to put down. And I'm telling you, if you've had trouble with pride in your life, as you go through life, you'll realize that truth. That truth. Take it from somebody who has been in this crucible of misery. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. God gives grace. Grace allows us to see God as he is, and God gives grace. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. Now, how is pride put to death permanently? Now, remember this. When we drift from God, our pride meter will go up. You can always tell when you're drifting. Because your self-meter goes up. We're never going to be perfect here, by the way. So just make sure you, you realize that we're going to fall back and we're going to move forward. Fall. We want to move more and more forward. Do this. Number one, do stay close to the fountain of living water. Jeremiah has a great verse on this. Jeremiah 2.13, speaking to the nation of Israel and what, how they compromise. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. They could just about make you cry. The fountain of living waters. What is that a picture of? Living, fresh, bubbling fountain. And they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can, that can hold no water. The stinky cisterns of stagnancy. They've chosen that over the fountains of living water. In the New Testament, the corollary would be this, abiding in Christ, making our home in Christ. No one can be partaking of the fountain of living water. No one can live at home in Christ and be prideful. Whenever you see pride reeking out of your being, you are not dwelling in Christ. You're not abiding in Christ. It's just that simple. The second do. Do. Put off the old man. Take your life focus off of you. We just went through it in Ephesians 4.22. Third one. Do. Focus on God. And again, Jeremiah will help you. And if you're very quick, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. But this would be a good verse to circle, star, underline. Thus says the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent eternal one. And watch this. It's going to, the first verse is going to be talking about self-focus. The second verse will be talking about God-focus. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, in his strength, in his power, self-focus. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, how great I am. Self-focus. Oh, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That is what God desires of every human being. 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I am the self-existent one, I am the eternal one, exercising loving kindness. And don't just rush over that word. That word is kesed, kesed in the Hebrew. And it's his mercy, his kindness towards a friend. That is how he views those who follow him and worship him, as a friend. Judgment. So I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, or justice, and righteousness in the earth. It's a focus is on God. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Our focus must be on pleasing God, not self. Pleasing God and not self. And finally, thing to do is this. Praise God. Verse 37 says this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, and honor the King of heavens all whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar had a changed heart for real. Conclusion, taking a hope. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. So remember, God is never in a hurry. God is process-oriented, and you are in a process of transformation and conforming to the likeness of Christ. This will take time. It is never overnight. That's why you don't lay hands on people early or quickly for leadership position. It always takes time. God is molding. God is shaping you for his glory. The goal of the process is a new you, a new heart, a new focus, a life that brings glory to God no matter your station in life, whether King Nebuchadnezzar or a pauper, whatever it might be, you bring glory to God. Doesn't matter your station. J.D. Brannon gives a summary of this whole thing. Nebuchadnezzar had it all power, majesty, and greatness. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling in my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Before his last arrogant words had left his mouth, he was startled by the voice of the one who placed him on the throne, and God said, Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom has departed from you. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar, he goes out and he grazes for seven seasons. Everything that we have, our possessions, our positions, our potential, comes from God. He is the source of our strength, the giver of our talents, and the one who controls our circumstances. Bannon goes on to say this, When we forget this or take credit, God may find it necessary to transfer us from a position of pride to humiliation. Knowing our position in relationship to God, dwelling in Christ, dwelling in Him, is the way to keep pride out of our lives. When we know how high and mighty God really is, we'll have little trouble remembering how weak and lowly we really are. It took Nebuchadnezzar decades to finally praise and extol the God of heaven. God is interested in transformation, a new you. From pride to praise. And let me just stop right here. Some of us, we progress through these stages of confirmation, conforming to the of Christ, at different rates. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. Oh, look at that one. He just jettisoned or she just jettisoned right up. Oh, they're so righteous. And, oh, that's them. You're on your own program. Be in the program. That's the point. Be in the process. Cooperate in the process. God will get you where he wants you to be if you cooperate in the process. Don't look at other people. Just view you and God in this process. 
And never forget in your life, God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. God is sovereign. God is in control. And he holds you in the palms of his hands. And he cares dearly for you. He does. That's our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. And thank you for the example of Nebuchadnezzar, how you can take somebody so high and lofty and bring them so low, and then they come back to you. In truth, that's the story of our lives. How we get full of ourselves, and we think we're so great and wonderful, and we're so subtle with this. Pride is so subtle. It can just creep in, and we start to very sneakily try to get adulation from people around us. May we realize that all these manipulations God is aware of. May we just bow before you, Lord. Be real. Be honest. I have a trouble with this area, Lord. Help me. And I want to learn. I don't want to go into the field for seven years, Lord. I want to learn. I want to do what is right before you. I pray right now for each person here that they'll deal honestly with the issues of their life that are distancing themselves from you, whether this pride or anger or whatever it might be, lust, jealousy, vanity, all those things. Deal with it, Lord, so we can be fully used of you for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name.